Would you please pray with me? God of mystery, let us encounter you in the hearing of your word. Invite us in, we pray, so that we might follow you out. Amen. Do you know that feeling you get just after hosting a large gathering? That feeling of joyful elation for seeing all these people you care about and are curious about, with whom you are so looking forward to being? That high of adrenaline that started the day before as you were preparing for the gathering, it's still there, and now it's mixed with the knowledge that pretty soon, after all the dishes are done, you're going to be tired. Hosts with the most out there, you know that feeling. Well, I feel some version of that every Sunday around 11.15. (laughs) Worshiping with you and getting to greet you is what I look forward to every week. And I know that I am not alone in this. Thank God. The greeters and ushers wait to welcome all of us into this space. The choir rehearses to lead us all in song. Communion preparers have lovingly cut the bread and filled our cups so that all can be fed. And in the kitchen, volunteers have prepared coffee and refreshments so that our fellowship can overflow from here into the other room. Why do we do all of this and so much more? every week of every year over all of our lifetimes. Trying to answer this question for ourselves is important. None of us would be satisfied with the answer that we do all of this week in and week out every year because it's tradition. Priya Parker has written a book called The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. In its introduction, she introduces herself and why she wrote the book. Having been trained in group dialogue and conflict resolution, she has studied, designed, and advised gatherings whose goals were to be transformative for the people involved in the communities they were trying to affect. If she had to boil down the point of her work, she would say, I strive to help people experience a sense of belonging. It is not surprising to her that she has made this her life's work. It probably has something to do, she says, with the fact that I've spent my own life trying to figure out where and to whom I belong. I come on my mother's side from Indian cow worshippers in Varanasi, an ancient city known as the spiritual center of India, and on my father's side from American cow slaughterers in South Dakota. My parents met in Iowa, fell in love, married, had me in Zimbabwe, fell out of love, divorced in Virginia, and went their separate ways. After the divorce, I moved every two weeks between my mother's and father's households, toggling back and forth between a vegetarian, liberal, incense-filled Buddhist Hindu New Age universe and a meat-eating, conservative, twice-a-week church-going evangelical Christian realm. So it was perhaps inevitable that I ended up in the field of conflict resolution. (laughs) Given her work, a lot of people ask her for advice when they're planning to host a gathering. 
The first thing she asks clients and friends to do is to determine the purpose of the gathering. She tells them to move from the what to the why. Sometimes this requires them to zoom out and see the big picture of why they gather. Other times, getting to the purpose requires drilling down. Take the reasons you think you're gathering and drill below them. Ask why you're doing it. Every time you get to a deeper reason, ask why again. Keep asking yourself why until you hit a belief or a value. She gives an example. Why are you having a neighborhood potluck? Because we like potlucks and we have one every year. Drill deeper. Why do you have one each year? Because we like to get our neighbors together at the beginning of the summer. Drilling deeper. Why do you like to get your neighbors together at the beginning of the summer? It's a way of marking the time and reconnecting after a hectic school year. Ah, why is that important? Because when we have more time in the summer to be together, it's when we remember what community is. And it helps us forge the bonds that make this place a great place to live. Aha. Uh -huh. And a safer place, too. Oh. And a place that embodies the values we want our children to grow up with, like strangers aren't scary. Aha. Uh -huh. If we were to drill down even deeper, what belief might we hit? Why do I want my child to grow up not seeing strangers as scary? Because I want her to exist in this world non-defensively, trusting that God made the world and called it good. When we hit upon a belief or a value, we may be surprised at how big our idea is, at how potentially transformative our gathering may be not just for us personally, but for the whole world. Going back to our question then, why does the church do all this to gather every week of every year of our lives? We could begin our response in any number of ways. Maybe you're thinking that we do this because we're church and this is what churches do. They gather every Sunday. So drill deeper. Why do they gather? To hear the word of God proclaimed? That's true. We do proclaim the word of God every time we gather. In fact, the word of God is so central that we not only proclaim and interpret it in our preaching, we sing it and we eat it. Why then is it so important for us to gather around the word of God? Because Formed and nourished by it, we can be sent out into the world as the body of Christ. What is important about being the body of Christ in the world? To witness and to build up a different kind of community, the kingdom of God. <clears throat> These questions get us closer to hitting the values and beliefs that are at the core of why we gather. All this drilling down leads us to articulate in our own words, in whatever words you would use, what is so important about being a witness to the kingdom of God. Yesterday at the women's retreat here, 
I heard articulations that, that, that in the kingdom of God, people truly see and know one another as cherished children of God, and that this makes all the difference in how we live and relate to one another. As children of God, we place our ultimate trust in God. And because everyone is God's child, we work to build an inclusive world in which everyone is treated with love and compassion. These are big ideas, so big that we might feel humbled by them. Like, wow, this gathering we're planning has a big purpose. Who am I to speak about such a revolutionary, world-transforming vision? Well, thank God we don't have to start from scratch, and none of us is alone in doing it. God provides the word for us, and as a church, we gather, proclaim, interpret, sing, and eat the word that God has provided. Over time, this word is what forms and sustains us. It is what we live on. Some of you have been longtime members of SPC, and you may know former member Mary Ellen Lloyd. I had the privilege of meeting Mary Ellen only a couple of times since she had already moved away by the time I arrived. As you may know, Mary Ellen passed away this past year. One of the things her children shared with me that I really enjoyed reading was her valedictory speech given at her high school commencement. Listen to a bit of it, to how Mary Ellen, as a 17-year-old, begins. As we, the youth of the world, step out of high school classrooms to undertake the world that is awaiting us, we realize the great task ahead of us, the task of reconstructing our world for the generations to come. It is these young people who will see to it that the world of tomorrow will be a peaceful world to live in. In the rest of her valedictory address, Mary Ellen goes on to name the hard realities of rebuilding a nation after war, of becoming a truly inclusive nation, one that welcomes foreigners, of becoming friends with Japanese living in America so as to avoid facing another conflict with them in the near future, of realizing a society in which African Americans can finally have equal opportunity to flourish as white Americans have had, of building up educational and economic opportunities, not just for rural Americans, but even for those living in cities. In reading her address, I got the sense that this high school senior, perched on the threshold of commencement, left no one and no place out. From Frasiesburg, Ohio, she found an overlook to see people's places and problems far removed from here, from there. This vision of a new kind of world was no doubt nurtured by the word of God on which Mary Ellen was raised. From an early age, the kingdom of God was the ideal toward which Mary Ellen dedicated herself and led her peers to approximate. What big purpose and vision can be cast from Frasiesburg, Ohio, or Swarthmore, Pennsylvania, 
each of us has been formed and sustained by God's word. It is so fundamental to our lives that we hunger and thirst for it. Our deep hunger for the word of God is made clear in the biblical tradition whenever the people of God spend time in the wilderness. It's in the wilderness that God humbles the Israelites by letting them hunger and then by feeding them with manna so that they might understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. It is in the wilderness that Jesus fasted 40 days and nights, after which the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And to which Jesus responded with those same words, choosing instead to rely on God. It is into the wilderness that Jesus now leads his disciples so that they too may experience God's provision. As we heard in the scripture lesson this morning, the apostles have just told Jesus all that they had done and taught. As the previous verses indicate, Jesus had sent them out two by two to travel from place to place, teaching, giving testimony, anointing with oil, and healing many who were sick and casting out demons. Upon hearing all of this, Jesus knew how tired they were. He knew their need for rest. So he led them to a deserted place in the wilderness, away from the villages. Unfortunately, Many recognized them, and by the time they got to this out-of-the-way place, thousands of people were there awaiting them. And upon seeing the crowd, Jesus had compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Feeling this compassion for them, Jesus then began to teach them. As the day drew to an end, the disciples, still exhausted, suggested to Jesus that he send the people away so that they might go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Instead, Jesus told them, you give them something to eat. The disciples protested this apparently impossible demand, saying, in effect, we don't have it in us. How can we provide for all these people? Well, you know how the story ends. Taking the five loaves and two fish that they do have on hand, Jesus looked toward heaven, blessed and broke it. And there were enough loaves to feed all 5,000 people and then some to feed the 12 disciples too. Surely we can understand the disciples' reaction to Jesus' instruction that they feed the crowds. They were probably suffering from what these days has a name, compassion fatigue. In that moment, they weren't able to respond with the same compassion that Jesus had for the crowds. Mark tells us several verses later that the disciples didn't understand what had happened with the loaves of bread because their hearts were hardened. How can we keep our hearts from hardening, from becoming numb, when we encounter people in situations that require our compassion and love? 
This is an important question for the church to ask as we seek to build up the kingdom of God, as we desire to know and see each person as a cherished child of God. Studies have shown over and over again that the more suffering people we encounter in our occupations and the more despairing situations we hear about in the news, we can become numb. Our hearts can harden. Knowing their exhaustion, Jesus brought the disciples into the wilderness where the people of God, where he himself, and now the crowds have experienced God's provision. Jesus hoped that there the disciples too would learn their limits, their frailty, and therefore to become wholly reliant on God rather than to misplace their reliance on themselves. It would be too exhausting otherwise to try to feed 5,000 people, to try to meet every need, to try to rescue every situation. Surely this would lead to fatigue. And yet, this is our mission. Nothing less than spreading good news to the ends of the earth and building the kingdom of God will do. So how do we do it? By the grace of God. Like Jesus, we look to God, whose good word satisfies the world's deepest hunger. And we look to one another who make up the body of Christ, gathered around God's word. We are filled, we are forgiven, we are free. We are sent back out, not alone, but together. Thanks be to God for the word that sustains us. Amen.